for the first time ever, Serie A sit down is being recorded on a Tuesday night. So uh, depending on how you took the Champions League game on the one on today, um, you might have been twitching and you might have been uh, having flashbacks and nightmares of Istanbul in 2005. Or if you were another fan base, you probably were reminiscing fondly of Olimpico in 2018. Either way, um, no Italian teams in it. So it. it that aspect of it really sucks. But anyway, this is the city I sit down. I had to figure out how to talk Champions League on our podcast. I miss talking Champions League. It would be nice to have Italian teams in it. Uh, city I sit down, um, a uh, podcast of World Football Index of Calcio told like it is. I'm Frank Cravello, and as always, uh, with me is Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. This is Istanbul. I don't know what you're talking about, but I do know Athens. Uh, how are you this evening? <laughs> I am very well aware of Athens. I'm doing great. I, I'm, I have I have uh, two fond memories of Athens, so um, <laughs> as as I'm sure you as I'm sure you do as well. Yes, indeed. Um, only although uh, you know not 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 December 2018 Athens. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, but no, like two, 2007 and 1994. Of course, um, I'm I'm doing great. Uh, uh, it was just kind of it was it was fun to see uh, Barcelona bottle it again. Uh, I was trying to go back and forth and decide who am I happy, you know, am I happier for am I happy for Liverpool or am I pointing at Barcelona and laughing? I'm probably more pointing at Barcelona and laughing here. But um, this is the most attention we have given non Serie A teams. Yeah, and it should end because uh, I'm not a fan of either of their fans fan bases or any fan bases for that matter. So. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate there's no Italian teams in either the Europa League or the Champions League uh, semifinals or finals. Um, so I guess that means we're all pulling for Ajax. <laughs> I think so. I, why not? Why not? And uh, you, you don't care for Liverpool. There's a lot of Liverpool people on WFI, and I'm sure that's going to go over really well in the WhatsApp chat that we have. Hi, so. guys. Hi, guys. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's talk Serie A. Uh, ten games that spanned from Friday through Monday. And, boy, uh, had just about everything, 29 goals. And wouldn't you believe it, but Spall had the most goals out of the teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, I never thought I'd live to see the day where Spall would be the highest goal-scoring team uh, of the week, but here we are. Of course, they played Kievo. That kind of helped. Um, but uh, this weekend, Richard had a little bit of everything. We had derbies. Uh, we had uh, plenty of players at the end of games talking about referees' mothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had little people out jumping big people for goals. Um, yeah. We had, jeez, <laughs> we had a. Uh, we had a player on camera telling his coach to f off um, when when asked to go warm up and get ready to replace an injured player. He's not the person I would ever say anything to like that. But anyway, no, yeah, exactly. So, um, so uh, there was something in it for everybody uh, in Serie A this weekend. Uh, so we are going to jump into it and break it down. And now, Richard, later in the podcast, uh, we will uh, talk about a. Uh, an interesting thing on Twitter. I was asked or I was challenged uh, to pick a 23-man squad uh, using only one player from every team in Serie A and then the top three uh, teams currently in Serie B, which will help us segue into talking about Serie B and kind of how that picture looks as well. Um, 
Brescia, uh, first of all, let's let's get them out of the way and let's give props. You know, the 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 club that has given us gave us Roberto Baggio's goodbye game, yeah. uh, gave us Andrea Pirlo, gave us Pep, you know Pep Guardiola spent some time there. I'm thinking there's somebody else I'm thinking Didn't about. Didn't uh, Balotelli went there was also Maybe possibly, uh, quite possibly. But uh, Brescia is back in Serie A, and uh, uh, how awesome is that? Oh, that that's great, man. To see it's a. Uh, you know, we were happy with Parma coming back, and now it's another team, a classic team of Brescia to be back in the mix. Uh, this is this is excellent. Hopefully, you know, next year they have a good campaign and can stay on for at least another year. Uh, but I'm happy to see those 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 blue jerseys that once again and um, bring back memories of Roberto Baggio and, and Andrea Pirlo and stuff like that. Yeah, I think one of my uh, one of the uh, uh, my more emotional experiences uh, with Serie A was uh, Baggio's last game at yeah. the San Siro against yeah. Milan and and uh, and coming off and then seeing Maldini uh, coming over to give him a hug and everybody paying him uh, just mad respect. Uh, absolute legend of the game. Uh, you know. <laughs> If, if he's not the face of 90s Italian football, he's pretty damn close to it, isn't he? Yeah, he's got to be up there. He's up there for me, and I, there's a couple people I can tell you probably put one other person above him, but uh, regardless, he is one of the best of the 90s and in, in, in history, really. Maldini? No, we're talking about Baggio, right? I mean, talking about 90s oh, Italian player, football. No, no, like, I was going to say um, uh, uh, just, uh, Signori. Really? Yeah, I've, a lot of people talk, like him, so I mean... Good reason. I mean, he's a good, great player. So, but yeah, Baggio is uh, one of the greats uh, for uh, Serie A and, and, and it, Italian in general. So, uh, legend of the game, one of my favorite players of all time. So, you spend too much time talking to Gavin Haverty. <laughs> back away from him. I mean, <laughs> especially now he's in mourning. Uh, but anyway, um, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Hi, Gav. Um, no, he he was a huge uh, uh, Giuseppe. Uh, Signore truther. Yeah. So, um, so I, I guess I can't fight that. I mean, if you're a Fiorentina fan, your persuasion is Batistuta. Um, you know, the, the players that went through Parma. I mean, there's there's plenty of faces. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, that shaped Italian football in the '90s. And Baggio is at at the top for me. Um, you know, hands down. But uh, Brescia is back in Serie A. They may sign Baggio to a comeback uh, to help them get a few goals. Uh, in their efforts to uh, to stay uh, promoted, but uh, let's take a just quick peek, and then we'll get into the Serie A games. Richard, Lecce's in second. Ugh, Lecce's going to be back in our lives. Ugh. Coming back up to go right back down, right? No doubt. Yeah, they're on 63, and then Palermo is on 62. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have uh, right now, as far as the, they're all jockeying because third through sixth will play off for the final promotion spot. Um, Benevento on 57 points, Pescara on 52 points. I would love to see Spezia. Um, they're on 51 points. Uh, not bringing the goals as much this season as they have in the past in Serie B, uh, but nonetheless uh, had a little bit of a reputation over the last few years of being a thorn in the side of Serie A clubs in the Coppa Italia. Mm. Um, what would you, would would you? Uh, assuming Palermo, you know, assuming Palermo, or let, let's just assume Lecce finishes second, okay? You know, right now as it stands, Palermo would play Spezia, Benevento would play Pescara, uh, and then you also have Tita Della, Cremonese still in position, Hellas Verona on 49 points, uh, you know, all in with a shout for a final playoff place if Spezia should falter. But 
Palermo, Benevento, Pescara, Spezia. Wouldn't it be? It would be kind of interesting to see a new team like Spezia get their shot, right? Certainly would. I mean, I would. I would rather have Palermo make it in and Lecce miss out, and then Spezia get in. But that's me. Uh, yeah, Spezia would be. It would be great to see Spezia no matter what. Um, they're they're a fun little team to watch, and uh, it would be nice to see them in Serie A and see what they can do uh, next season once uh, once we get rid of the bottom three here in Serie A. Yeah, absolutely. So. So that's kind of how it's looking for Serie B. Brescia is going to uh, make their way back up there. Uh, you know what's interesting you know, about Brescia is Donnarumma. Uh, he led. He was one of the top goal scorers last year with Empoli in in Serie B, and then when he went over, he went over to Brescia, and then he led, he led the league in goals this year with 25 goals, uh, being out Coda uh, for Benevento. So uh, he's he's a proven goal scorer last two years. Who is this again? I'm sorry, Donnarumma. Oh, so, oh, yeah. So he was at Empoli um, last year, and this year he was with uh, Brescia, both both times twenty plus goals. So, but he did not make my twenty three man roster. <laughs> that's one spoiler. Second spoiler: No, Donnarumma made my twenty three man roster of one per one player per team. Ba-dum-tsh. So just just to just to put those spoilers out there, so we'll leave everybody in suspense on uh, who I picked, and we'll uh, talk about. The, you can also look at my Twitter account and see uh, if you don't want to. Uh, listen to the rest of this podcast because you know Richard says there are people that listen to us that don't like Serie A. So apparently, apparently, right. So uh, let's get on to what happened in Serie A. And everything kicked off, Richard, with the Derby della Mole, uh, Torino taking on Juventus uh, on Friday. Um, you know, what May 4th is the anniversary of the Superga uh, airline disaster uh, from 70 years ago with Il Grande yeah. Torino, uh, that outstanding team uh, from the late 40s that, you know, you can make a very, very strong argument that had that tragedy never happened, we probably talk about Torino today in the breath that we talk about Juventus. Yeah, I think so. So... Uh, you know, so certainly this this derby took on significant meaning for that reason. Uh, certainly a lot of motivation here for Torino as they're fighting for top four, maybe even top six. Uh, and uh, would it be great for them to go to the J uh, and beat their uh, city rivals uh, in an effort to try to claim one of those places? They were on their way to doing that, Richard. Lukic uh, manhandling Miralem Pjanic off the ball legally. Uh, <laughs> Lawfully and within the lawfully and within the laws of the game, um, and uh, curls one past and uh, a goal of the week candidate for me, uh, putting Torino ahead one nil on 17 minutes. Yeah, a great way to start by Torino. I mean, exact way you want to start. You're on the road. Uh, yes, it's in the same city, but uh, it's a daunting place to play. Everyone knows that uh, the J is, and you know, get in there early and to get a goal. That's exactly what you want to do. Put them on their heels, get, force them to come out of their shell and. And try to play a little bit more, open up, maybe get more chances going down the road. So, uh, Lukic, great strike. Uh, I mean, beautiful curler past Chesney. Uh, there's nothing more you can say about it. Definitely a, a goal of the week candidate for me. Absolutely. I'll agree with that. Um, uh, superiority in the first half, however, uh, did belong to Juventus. Um, more chances. A uh, couple of shots on target. They each had two shots on target, but a great save from Sirigu denying um, Matuidi. Uh, on a volley that uh, had that connected and gone in, that probably would have been a goal of the week candidate. Instead, it ended up being a very impressive save by Sirigu, and what a season he's had. 
Yeah, comeback player of the year, maybe. I mean, this guy, has, he's one of the best goaltenders in the league this year, making spectacular, every week it seems we're talking about making him make spectacular saves, penalty saves. Um, it's great to have him back in City uh, after his long spell in, in PSG for years. Yep, definitely. And uh, uh, Torino, we're uh, just six minutes away from uh, a shock victory that would have gone a long way toward their campaign for European football in 2019-2020, but... That man showed up again. Cristiano Ronaldo in the 84th minute, levitating uh, over everybody on a cross from Spinazzola, uh, a goal of the week candidate in the 84th minute. We've seen him do that before. Yeah, he's got one of the best uh, ups in the world. You know, there's not many guys who can out jump him, and uh, he he seems to get to all those balls at the peak, like, you know, a foot above everybody else, it seems like. And, you know, the accuracy he has with any part of his body, he can almost seem to score. So. Uh, it was a no-brainer that I was going to go in once he touched it. Absolutely. Uh, the game would end 1-1. Uh, so, you know, go to the J, get a point that most people wouldn't expect you to get. And if you're trying to fight for, uh, you know, top top six, top four, and right now five points back of top four with uh Three games to go. It might be a bridge too far for them, but only two behind Milan and Roma for a Europa League place. Uh, Torino still has some incentive here to play for uh, for some European football. Absolutely, and then again, as you know, I hate to be a broken record, but they have probably the best defense in Serie A, so you, that, that's in their back pocket right now. And you know, and, and Balotti's playing well, the team is playing well. Lukic with a great goal in this this past weekend, so don't count them out just yet. I mean, Roma and Milan—they've been in very inconsistent lately. Um, so to get to Europa League is not a far-fetched idea, as some might think. But uh, yeah, Torino is, a, is an excellent squad. Yep, for sure, and uh, they've had an excellent season. Let's hope that they can cap it off uh, with some uh, European football. Now, you know, for me, uh, obviously, um, Sasha Lukic uh, getting the goal, uh, you know, for Torino. But I think some players that impressed me in this one, Richard uh, Sidigu, obviously, with a couple of key saves there. Uh, the back three was relatively good. I mean, uh, 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 Nkolu, Itzo, and Bremer, uh, and Ansaldi, I thought, was really good down the left-hand side. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, Osa Aina, when he came off the bench, uh, he nearly scored. I uh, nearly gave him a 2 nothing lead. would have been yep. crucial if he had gotten that. But, yeah, a lot of good players playing for uh, Torino, uh, stepping up big in the game. And so uh, it's what you want to see. Um, yep. you know, we we talked about how good this team can be, and with plays players playing up to the potential like the, these defenders have been, uh, it's the reason why they have the, one of the best defenses in the league. How about uh, the maturation of uh, Spinazzola? Uh, yeah, he's good. Man. A fantastic game for him. He almost had a worldie. Uh, if you knew how to know, shoot, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, if he if he knew how to shoot, I mean, it's just a terrific run with the ball. Uh, but uh, an outstanding assist, putting the ball rolling. Ronaldo was going to get it. Uh, you know, with the uh, with the cross in the air. Uh, so uh, a guy that might, you know, if they wanted to, if they wanted to, uh, you know, move on or cash in on Alexandro, they've got a very reliable player in Spinazzola uh, ready to take on more playing time. Yeah, and he's going to be a fixture in the national team, I'm sure, in no time. Uh, he's already been called up, so uh, he's he's got the intelligence and and pace and uh, the the wherewithal to play. Not only the left back, but really anywhere anywhere on the pitch, and he's just thriving in that position. You know, not not only this year, but also last year as well. And uh, with passes like he did, pinpoint passes, and then making those runs, 
like I said, if he can just work on his finishing, man, he might be a very, very dangerous player. I mean, he is already, but I mean, just adding that component of goal scoring would make it even that much better, more so than Alexandra even. Yep, for sure, for sure. So that was it, 1-1 with the Darby della Mole. Um, Torino uh, in seventh on 57. We already know Juventus have uh, won the Scudetto. Uh, tell us about uh, Saturday kicking off with Chievo and Spal. We spent time talking about Spal being, you know, pacing uh, pacing the league with goals this week. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we, you know, thinking the Juve-Torino game, that maybe there would be some goals in there. You got some goal scorers galore there, but uh, leave it to the Chievo-Spal uh, matchup to get the goals. Uh, one of the highest scoring games of the weekend. Uh, Kievo obviously already relegated. Uh, they're playing against Spal. Spal are, are trying to make sure that they're not going to be in Serie B next season, trying to remain in Serie A. And a win would certainly do that for them. And uh, you know they got off to they got off to the flying start. Uh, Felipe, the defender, gets a goal in the eighth minute. Uh, it would go to VAR first. People thought it was maybe offsides, but upon replay, uh, he was onside. Good goal. Uh, so up one nothing just like that. Uh, it would go into halftime by that scoreline. I was this is one way traffic in this game. Um, start off the second half. Uh, the guy from the streets, uh, Flocati, he would get the goal in the 47th minute to double the lead two nothing. Um, Felipe, the goal scorer from the first goal, he would add a second, a brace in the 55th, and to wrap it all off, uh, Yasmin Kurtic in 81st minute with the goal. Uh, this was one way traffic, Frank. Like I said, it was uh, one team was. Certainly had intentions of playing in this game, and the other team was already in party in, in, in travel mode to Serie B. Uh, it was obvious from the start that Spa were serious about trying to remain in Serie A, and the performance showed it 100%. Uh, four goals. I mean, who saw that coming? And with that win, they're uh, they're locked up for next year for Serie A. Yep, uh, totally safe. And uh, in 11th, um, would you believe it? Yeah. Um, I mean, four goals, and it's like you think, okay, Patania had a role in this, and no, it w- the center back gets a brace. Um, you know, Flockery, the old man, gets one, and Kurtic Kurt- was outstanding in this game. Yeah. Um, Viviano had a great save, the one, the one save he probably had to make. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is one of the few times. Kurtic, for me, I thought would have been, and Murgi was really good in this game, too, but Kurtic, for me, was a guy that I thought once he came to Spall, he was going to be, you know, that. He'd be the man, um, yeah. and he just hasn't gotten there yet. Um, you know, kind of getting out, you know, leaving Atalanta, getting out of the shadows of Papu Gomez, Josip Ilicic, and 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 players of that ilk. Um, you know, coming over to Spal, you thought that he would have taken on a much, you know, heavier role and would have been taking it on, and we just hadn't seen it develop him. You know, with Spal improving over the last few weeks, he's kind of flown under the radar and had some good performances, and this mm-hmm. time he pops up with a goal. So. I think it's helped that Emmanuel Lazzari has had a, a season that he's had. He's one of the best right backs in the league, if not the best one. Uh, the assist man, if you will. He had another great pass today that someone should have scored. I forget who it was, if it was Kurtic or who. But um, I think with him taking the, the workload and, and the attention, it's allowed Yasmin Kurtic to kind of sneak in there and get these great performances, especially the last three weeks. What are they on, a three-game win streak or something crazy like that? Yeah, they are in very good form here. If I, let's see, yeah, uh, unbeaten in four, they've got three wins and a draw. There you go. Yeah, so, so great time to have this run. I mean, and as for Kievo, what about them? Just, just, just make sure, just make sure Emmanuel Vignato goes to a Serie A club. Yeah. Uh, next season and let him gain. Ex- there's some promise with this kid. One hundred percent. He is. He looks like he has. A, it could be a, something special. You know, if he goes to the right place, gets some playing time. 
Um, Vignato has already had what two goals already in two, in two goals in the first three games. So, um, yeah, hopefully he goes to somewhere where they can nurture that talent. Hey, maybe somewhere like Atalanta or something. Uh, they seem to do well with youngsters, but uh, the rest of them, man, I mean, I don't know. The Paoli, Andreoli, Cesar Frey, uh, not that great of game, obviously. Not a great of right. season. Yeah, just uh, it just been a miserable season for Chievo, um, and uh, already been uh, set for uh, Serie B a long, long time ago. So, um, you think Stepinski stays? It, that's another one that uh, they. It's it's always funny because they want to try to hang on to some players. I mean, Jack is going to go down with them because who's going to take him at thirty five next yeah, year? Yeah, you know, and if he wants to keep playing, that's he's stuck there. Um, you know, I, I could see him stay. I could see Sapinski staying. Sure, Pelissier is certainly going to say he's a club legend. He's going to stay there, but uh, I don't know. I, I could see Stepinski moving. I mean, I, I know why they would want to keep him, but if I were right. Stepinski, I'd say, let me, uh, someone, someone, please take me because he has proven to be a pretty decent player for for Kievo. And so, if you can, if you're a decent player for Kievo, for Kievo, for Kievo, um, you might do really well somewhere else if you get the, the service and. And, and the room, so uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully someone picks him up. But if not, I mean, he'll be in purgatory with uh, Kievo. Sure, indeed. Um, it's uh, he's he's a player that he could, you know, a mid a mid to lower mid table Serie A club. He could certainly uh, yeah, be of yeah. service. So um, he needs to be provided service. And it's kind of it's kind of weird that you know Kievo boasts some experienced attacking players in their team, and 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 to only get twenty five goals. Uh, in 35 games, uh, you expected more from these guys, probably, you know, in that department. But a lot of it is, is that they just didn't have the ball as much, and just, you know, worst defense in the league by far. Conceded 73 goals through 35 games, um, but you know, so Jack Green doesn't see much of the ball. Uh, Vignato, now that he's playing, is, is is making something happen, but doesn't see enough of it. Jordovic, uh when he played, and then it was never a consistent. They never had a consistent uh spending more time on Kiev than we should but anyway but let's give him <laughs> let's i mean we don't have to spend I, I, probably we don't, have to spend, we don't have to spend any time on him next season this is true. so <laughs> um but you know I, they never just I, one of the things when i kind of because when i look at these and we're reviewing these games one thing occurs to me where's the consistency and then there may be some injuries are playing a part and things like that but you know you'd you'd like to see them just run the same guys out there a little bit more because the attacking talent was there to to create some spot of bother. The defending just was painfully poor. Yeah. Yeah, it's been very consistently poor, and that's kind of re- the reason why they're getting relegated this season. They need to shore that up if, if they want to go anywhere. Otherwise, they may be going lower than the Serie B. Sure. Um, and I guess we can we can spend some time talking about Kievo because there's not a whole lot to say about the next game, Udinese and Inter. <laughs> yeah. Um, Udinese still uh, fighting for uh, uh, survival and to stay in Serie A, and it would be a shame if they could not survive with uh, some of the young, with with a lot of the young talent that they have in their team. Um, taking on Inter, uh, Inter trying to get some separation from the chasing pack and secure their Champions League place. This game ended nil nil. Uh, the best players in this game were the goalkeepers, Musso with four big saves in particular uh, for Udinese. Uh, Handanovic uh, on the other side came up with three saves. I'd say Brozovic was really good in this game too. Um, 
it's you funny, know, certainly. It's funny you mentioned him because I thought he took down uh, took down his man in the box earlier in the game. There should have been a penalty there, but you know, mm-hmm. flip, flip the script. There should have been a penalty on the other end as well later in the game. So they, I guess those canceled out. But uh, Brozovic was, other than that, he was uh, he was a pretty good player in that game, as he yeah. always is. Yeah, I mean, that, that was his one mistake. It just he got away with it. Um, you know, and I thought Rodrigo de Paul was relatively influential here for Udinese for the very limited time that they had the ball. Inter had 73% of the possession in this game. Yeah. So, um, I mean, DePaul didn't get anything meaningful on target, uh, but, you know, was a bit of a facilitator in this game, created some decent chances uh, for his teammates. Um, and then, uh, you know, you got to give kudos to the defenders on both teams as well. The center backs, I think, the back three for Udinese and the, uh, pairing of Skriniar and Devrai for Inter were very good as well. So, um, you know, nil-nil, 73% possession for Inter. Uh, outshot Udinese 21-8. to um, Had nine corner kicks to two. So Inter dominated on the stat board but did not get the three points. And, uh, you know, with some other teams accumulating points here, uh, with three games left, I mean, they're third – and they're four points clear with three games to go, but it's not total. It's not a totally done deal for uh, for the Nerazzurri, is it? No, a third spot looks like it's very much in jeopardy. Both these teams are their current positions are in jeopardy. Uh, with Inter, yeah, they got someone knocking on the door. Another blue and blue and black team uh, who are giving poundings to everybody else, pun intended. Um, but yeah, no, the Nerazzurri need to find ways to get some better results. They're not losing; they're getting draws, but. The teams behind them, especially the one team we're talking about, Atalanta, they're getting wins. Uh, they're getting important wins. So, uh, you know, we talked about the gauntlet that Inter have at the end of the season. They better, they better find some ways to get some wins here, or they're going to get past. Uh, they may, they probably have Champions League no matter what, but uh, in terms of getting that third spot, it may not be theirs after all. No, and um, so there's there's that to worry about but then i went and looked at their running and they're hosting kievo next week so they're probably good (laughs) so not even not even inter can screw that up right um we'll see so uh moving on uh let's get into sunday's action and uh for uh guys like me that woke up early on sunday and caught the tuscan derby you were the one. No, uh, no Tuscan Derby is always a, a great one to watch. It wasn't the first leg of this, this season, uh, and this one as well was uh, was also a very good game. Uh, Empoli were obviously in uh, a relegation battle. They're in the relegation zone at the moment, and they're trying to get out as, as best they can. Um, they brought their game today. Fiorentina were... They played okay. <laughs> I'm putting it nicely because it seemed like it was almost all Empoli in the game. I mean, the stats will not tell you that that's what it was, but if you look into the chances, Empoli had a, a good amount of them. Um, if you look at the stats, it's it's 50-50 shots, 9-3. That was the big telling thing. I mean, all the shots seemed to be going Empoli's way, and um, it went to nil-nil to halftime. Uh, but then, as you alluded earlier in the, earlier in the podcast, um, the shortest man on the pitch, Diego Farias, he outjumped Milinkovic, I believe it was, uh, gets the goal with a header. Uh, first of all, you got to go and you know hang your head in shame if you're Milinkovic, if you let a, a little guy like that get a, get above you and score a goal. Uh, but you know, Empoli, they brought it today. You know, Caputo, Caputo strung a lot of passes together. He almost scored a couple times. Um, Krunic as well. This is it's like we've been saying all year. They're a fun team to watch offensively. They can stop people defensively, and they did in this game. Fiorentina could not score. Lafont had some big saves. It kept the score line as close as it was. But um, Empoli would get the win, one nothing. Uh, big win in the derby. Big win for their season. 
Uh, they pull within two points of Udinese now uh, with that win, and uh, very impressive by them. I wasn't sure that, despite being a derby, that they would be able to um, hold pace or hold uh, you know punch for punch with with Fiorentina. But hey, they showed in this one they had some knockout power. Um, went back and forth with Adam Digby on Twitter, and we concurred that that Farias goal um, is a perfect representation of. One team that has a lot to play for, and one team that's on the beach. Yep. yep. You know, I mean, it just was, it's just the way it was. Um, you know, it, here's the thing: it's Montella came out in a four-man defense. You know, which I think he hates, but he probably looks at his current personnel and says, "Going to a back three is just going to be putting square pegs in round holes." And as he adjusted and he d- did some things tactically. He went back to his back three, especially in the second half when I saw that. With the current squad that he's got, the only person that benefits from him playing a three-man defense is Biragi. The rest of them are set up for a different system. So, you know, if he's going to do that, it's got to be a 3-4-3. Or two strikers where Chiesa is running off Muriel or or something like that. Um, But with what he had in the game, that system doesn't work. And it almost it's like, you know, we watched it painfully for Milan. Um, you know, the first half of last season where Suzo just looked lost um, and looked like he didn't know where to run. I mean, he looks lost now uh, in Gattuso's system. <laughs> he, I know he scored against Bologna, but, um, you know, and th- and those were some of the things. And I mean, and another thing that, that was telling about Fiorentina and how much they actually cared about this. And, and I want to know where you weigh in on this, Richard. I mean, they're down a goal. They're down one nil. They take out Muriel for uh, Dusan Vlaovic, um, a young uh, Serbian striker uh, who they brought over from parties on Belgrade, um, and they give him the run. They give him the chance to try to see if he can get something out of it. They take out a player that they brought in and um, was thought to have had some influence on on this team. Obviously, got off to a great start when he arrived. Um, I that that's just more evidence that you know. I think Montella is in full evaluation mode, doesn't care that it's a Tuscan derby, but, you know, even if there's nothing to play for for Fiorentina, this is still a regional derby, and you're supposed to be the best team in that region. Um, I personally don't believe that that sends a good message. No, it doesn't. And uh, imagine if you're the fans, uh, and you're you're getting ready up for this big derby matchup against a, a heated rival, and then you you basically load up with a, a B lineup, and you're like, what, what? It's a freaking derby, and we saw what, what Allegri did with this derby, right? He brought everybody for both with the Derby d'Italia and the Torino matchup, um, despite you know running away with the league. He cares about these kind of derbies. Montella doesn't get it, and it showed with their performance today, being out outclassed basically by Empoli. Um, I hate the fact. I get it. It's the end of the season, but it's a derby. Fans that lo- your own your own fans love these kind of matches because they want to win against their against their local rivals or whatever. And putting out a lineup like this tells them, you know, yeah, you don't care. It's the end of the season. And I get that. It's the end of the season, but it's a derby. That should take precedent. Right. Unless there's injuries on the line or whatever, but it's the end of the season, man. Come on. I mean, there's still some regional pride to play for. Exactly. You know, I mean, if you want to, you still have three more games after this to evaluate whoever the hell you want. Let Blaovic play in those games. Um, you know, that's at least kind of when I looked at it as like, you know, this is a, this, this is a big deal to Fiorentina fans. Um, even if there's nothing, even if there's no Europe and, and, and anything and any of this other stuff. Sometimes be, this is all you have in a, in a year, you know? It's a derby matchups. 
and and over the last few years, it's all Fiorentina really has had is to just be better than the than the teams in their region because they have not had the upward mobility to get up to the European places. They've never made that finishing kick to get there. So um, it, it just I, I found that strange. And then Vanatu uh, at the end of the game uh, gets a straight red from the referee for saying something about his mother. Um, you think he said it in French or in, or in Italian? <laughs> <laughs> he probably was trying to say something different in French, and it was probably an Italian slur. Exactly. And it was a slip. <laughs> hey, you got the time? What? You're out of here. But those the, the the linguistics of those languages are just so different. I mean, you you know, I don't know how you could screw that up. But anyway, um, Veneto is the first of five players who got late reds in this late red cards in this game. Most of them for arguing. Um, with referees, something's going on on the peninsula here, Richard. Something, I don't, I don't get it. it there's, uh, is there something in the water? Is they're all there... angry that there's no Italians in the finals of any European competitions. I think that's what it is, and they're just all, you know, and the referees are all pissed off, so they're just taking it out on the, you know, what you guys need to do better. So don't, it's not us, it's you. And then the players are like, no, it's really you. I'm sitting here saying, yeah, referees, it is really you. Um, so, and yes, it is the players and it is the squads. It's the front offices who don't know how to build clubs to sustain, you know, European success and, and, and clubs that can't challenge Juventus season in and season out. But we can, you know, we'll spend two hours talking about that. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, Veritu, Veritu with a straight red, but he was not going to be the only one. So, um, you know, as it pertains to the match, uh, you know, Fiorentina certainly tried to score. They had 25 chances and 11 on target. So 11 on target with uh, Dragovsky making 10 saves. One huge save, you know. Oh, my goodness, yeah. what a save on a doorstep. Was it Chiesa, I think it was? or Either way, it was a great save. If Empoli end up going down here, he'll have no trouble finding work. No, not, uh, not once, whatever. <laughs> next season. But now it's interesting because they're on 32. Udinese's on 34. So there's a bit of a sweat here. I still think this is problematic for Empoli. Going to Sampdoria, hosting Torino, and then going to Inter, that is just a murderer's row. Um, if they get out of that, <laughs> I know we're going to give Gasparini a lot of credit if Atalanta finish fourth, but if they get out of that. Uh, it won't be quite we... as impressive as Crotone, but it's going to be a health of a performance if they did do that. I mean, yeah, we, we have to give some reasonable on, uh, honorable mention to Aurelio Andreazzoli, who yeah. was sacked for Yakini, and then Empoli realized, wait, we sacked you for Yakini? Well, we're going to sack Yakini, and we're going to beg you to come back. And if he pulls the great escape with that lineup of games, we're going to have to talk about him. I mean, yeah. I know we're going to give it to Gasparini if, he, if, if Atalanta finished fourth. But we're gonna have to talk about Andrea Zoli if uh, if Empoli somehow survived this and Udinese go down. I I agree. I, he and he deserves it too if if that's the case. Would you agree that this is a two team fight for relegation now for the last spot, or is Genoa is Genoa still in a relatively uncomfortable spot here? I mean, you you watch their body language today and their performance. You maybe want to say it's a three team race, but I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with two teams right now. I think. They have just enough uh, wiggle room to to be clear of that last bottom three or last spot. Um, it's going to be certainly four, interesting. Four points, yeah. So it'll be interesting with Empoli and Udinese do down the stretch here, but I think Genoa will have just enough to uh, to to survive. 
I mean, Genoa have to travel to Atalanta and Fiorentina, and in between they host Cagliari. Hmm. Um, Udinese have two away games left out of three at Frosinone, at Cagliari at the end, uh, and then they host Spall, um, who people are learning the hard way. Spall is all of a sudden becoming very tough to beat. Mm-hmm. So it's you know not out of the. This is going to get interesting. I mean. Empoli have a. I still think it's too daunting for Empoli. I think this is a two-team race. I agree with you, but I see just based on what Genoa and Udinese have been doing lately, there's enough slip-ups there for this to get really interesting. But I'll, I'll say two for now. But Genoa's got to watch themselves traveling to Atalanta, and if Empoli gets something out of the next game, uh, this gets really, really uh, interesting uh, over the last couple games. Um, so, so we'll see. Uh, Lazio hosted Atalanta, Richard. Uh, and uh, the scoring opened with uh, Parolo scoring in the third minute. He just seems to score in these kind of games, doesn't he? Yeah, and he he seems to always show up in these big games, uh, which is not the person you would expect to, to show up in any of these big games, but he does game in and game out, and uh, he did in this one, uh, created the, the chaos in the box and eventually got the goal. So uh, good for him. Is like Again, an, an unexpected player to do this, but uh, great for him to do that, and great for Lazio that, he, that he's able to do that in these games. Lazio outpossessed Atalanta in this game, but it was Atalanta that just blitzed going forward and had a number of counterattacks. Uh, you know, Papu Gomez again was at the hub of everything. Uh, you know, if you happen to catch this game, um, you would probably agree with that sentiment, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, Papu Gomez is always at the heart of the strings of, of anything that goes on with Atalanta, but in this game in particular, such a big game because a lot was on the line, uh, Champions League spot, and um, again, Papu Gomez is showing uh, the kind of class player he is by the stuff that he was doing, just you know, stripping the ball around, uh, taking shots, uh, taking stuff for the team, playing defense. Uh, he's doing it all for them. And the leading scorer of the team, Duvan Zapata, would equalize in the 22nd minute uh, on a ball from Remo Freuler to make it uh, 1-1, his 22nd of the season. Uh, it would go in 1-1 at halftime. Um, and then it would be Gomez in the 58th setting up Timothy Castagne. I think it was a ball. It was interesting because even the commentators, uh, you know, at least in the highlight reel, because I know here we had the uh, the feed where we had Matteo Benetti doing the, doing the, um, doing the color. Uh, but on the uh, highlight reel, um, Castan, uh, it, 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 it was as if I think the cross was initially intended for Zapata, and he let it either go past him or he, or he overran the cross just from what I was looking at. And Castan just made the follow-up run uh, yeah, to score the goal. Yeah, it was just behind Zapata. It was intended for Zapata, and he, I guess he overran the ball and you know reached back to try to get it, yep. missed it, and Castagna just put it away. Yep. And then a Wallace own goal in the 76th minute off a corner uh, made it 3-1, uh, and that's how it would end. So Atalanta fourth on 63 points. I Chloe Beresford tweeted a couple months ago that it would be amazing if Atalanta, uh, you know, reached top four and reached the Champions League next season. To which I agreed, but I worried a lot about. Atalanta defensively. I mean, because for much of the season, this was a team that was leaking goals, but you take a look, all of a sudden, <laughs> that's not an issue anymore. In the last seven games for Atalanta, and this includes the uh, Copa semifinal against Fiorentina, uh, in the last seven games, actually you can go back to eight games, they've only conceded five goals. Mm. Uh, for them and for how they perform this season, that is a turnaround uh, from where they were. So this is the problem with 
this is the problem with Atalanta at this point in trying to overtake them for fourth. They have figured the defensive part out. And we've said like all season long, if they could figure out the defensive end, uh, look out now because this team knows how to play offensively. So uh, Atalanta, they seem to have all the tools up right now. They need to. It's going to be worrisome for me too if they do qualify for Champions League. How do they handle the extra games? They haven't handled it fairly well with Europa League in the past. Um, Gasparini's need to gonna have to tweak some uh, tweak some things, add some personnel, some depth because trying to use the same players week in and week out for all the games is uh, too daunting of a task for them. And, sure. Um, but this is such a fun team to watch, man. Such a fun team. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I, you know, as as a Milan fan, I hope that Milan can make the Champions League. But at the same time, if it's At- I'm not going to be mad if it's Atalanta because no, yeah. how fun are they going to be in the Champions League? You yeah. know how these these big clubs are going to have no clue what's coming uh, when they play them. You think Ajax was? I mean, <laughs> I now I'm going crazy because Ajax is actually doing it in the Champions League right now. But Atalanta just about do what Ajax does. They they bomb forward, they bomb forward in numbers, and they're fearless. And they've got guys that can play, make, and create, uh, Gomez and Ilicic in particular. But you scratch that surface, those wingbacks can deliver balls, and those midfielders are very talented, the combination of uh, Deron and Freuler in particular all season long. And they always have central defenders who score goals. <laughs> always. It doesn't matter who the Yeah, you can't. And that's the other thing. You can't sleep on set pieces. Those center backs will score. So they had Barisha before, who's a good goaltender. Now they got Golini. I mean, it doesn't matter. They got, yeah. They're just a good team, man. Good yeah. recruiting and so, everything. Yeah, so Atalanta in fourth. Lazio now back to eighth on 55. Champions League definitely out of the question. And uh, Europa League looking really distant. And probably their only chance at Europa League is to beat Atalanta in the rematch in the Coppa Italia final, no? Yeah, I mean that's all. That's the only chance they're gonna have right now. And uh, the way the way that way that last game went, I don't know if that's gonna have much of a chance. But you never know. It Lazio's gonna be home. And it's gonna be a big game. Anything can happen in those games. But uh, that's that's gonna be Lazio's only chance really to get Europa League or European spot uh, is to get a victory there. I think because I think it's gonna be a little bit too much to try to catch their uh, city rivals or Milan at this point. All right. Um... Let's move on. Tell us about Parma and Sampdoria, one of the games of the week. Yeah, from a goal scoring perspective, it was the goal of the week, or game of the week, I should say. Atalanta Lazio probably took the billing as far as name goes, but um, Parma and Sampdoria, they certainly brought it in this game, and it was uh, two of the old, the old guys uh, pulling the strings for both these teams. Uh, we'll start with Parma, um, <laughs> led by Gervinho with his, um, he never seems to get slower uh, as, as old as he gets. Uh, he was dancing around the defense for Sampdoria, uh, sets it up to Gazzola, who scores in the second minute of the game, just like that. Uh, great, great uh, play by Gervinho. Um, it, it's a it's a honorable mention for me for goals of the week, just just from the work that he did alone. Uh, so one nothing to Parma, just like that. Um, but old man Fabio Cagliarella, there was a penalty in the 28th minute. He would come up, step up, and take the uh, the penalty, score the goal. Uh, Defrel was the one who's fouled in the box. Uh, so Qualiarella gets his 24th on the season, uh, ties the game up 1-1. Um, and the man we just mentioned, Defrel, he would end up getting a goal in the 38th minute to make it 2-1 before they went to halftime. So 2-1 lead for Sampdoria. It's a pretty uh, high-scoring uh, game to this point. It would not stop there. Um, in the uh, 61st minute, Fabio Qualiarella would get his uh, quarter-century goal of the season, 25 on the 61st minute, uh, Sampdoria has a 3-1 lead. Surely they cannot blow this lead, right, Frank? 
but they're on the road. What have yep. we learned from Sampdoria? Away uh, Sampdoria will eventually rear its ugly head. That's what we learned. And it did. In the 67th minute, Uri Kuchka, uh, he would get a penalty goal uh, to make it 3-2. And then just four minutes later, three, four minutes later, Bastoni would get the equalizer uh, 3-3. This game had everything. It had goals. It had tension. Um, I think there was even uh, a couple red cards in this game, wasn't there? Uh, yeah. Uh, Kuchka getting – well, Kali got a red for just – Bumbling around and fouling yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, uh, Kuchka got a red for talking about the referee's mother. This is the second of five. We, there's five of them. This isn't the only one. Players are just angry at referees. They're done, and and they're getting and they're getting sent off for it. Yeah. So this game literally had everything, and and so a uh, game ends three three. Two teams who are pretty much uh, in in perg- or you know in on the beach uh, still performing, which is great to see. Uh, Parma, you know, they ha- they had to do something. They're they're dropping many points as of late. Uh, they need to have just a performance to to make sure that they still have a pulse in this in this thing. And uh, three three, uh, great comeback by them. You know, surely when you're down three one and and the state of the table that you're in, as Parma were, you know, near the relegation zone, they to come back and get a draw was a, a fantastic feat, and that can only f- fuel them for the remaining you know three games or so. Sure, sure, it can. I mean, but they're in a spot where it's just like, you know, I, they're in the same spot for me that Fiorentina are in, that Cagliari are in. It's just like they're they're playing up the stretch. Um, but when they're doing that, it's going to make for some pretty entertaining football like we saw in this game um, here between uh, Parma and uh, Sampdoria. So um, let's hope that they're, you know, I mean, we'll look at Parma's run-in just for – just for the hell of it. They're going to go to Bologna next, which it's kind of a crucial game for Bologna because they're not totally out of the weeds. And then mm-hmm. they host Fiorentina on May 19th, which that could be a – I don't want to jinx this because I thought Fiorentina Sassuolo would be 5-4 and then ended up being a dud, just one goal. But there's going to be a lot of – there should be a lot of goals in that game. Um, you're going to have Roma fighting for everything at home against Parma there in the end. Uh, and Parma might be a sieve to Roma in that game. Um, Gervinho may be pumped up for that game too because that's his former club so it'll be interesting yeah returning to the Olympico to play his former team yeah that could that could be some narrative there so uh, I don't hate that I don't hate that concept so um, Parma's gonna just kind of be fun bad the rest of the way I mean I think they were fun bad for most of this season yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but nonetheless here they are uh, their whole goal was survival they've done that and it seems like they've just kind of rested on their laurels ever since so um but uh, but Sampdoria always make it interesting, don't they? When they're on the road, can't uh, can't really hold much, can they? No, they can't. I mean, I'm surprised they got off to such a hot start that they did. But of course, uh, they're on the road and they're going to do Sampdoria things on the road. So um, hopefully next year they have a uh, new leadership that can kind of correct this kind of stuff. But as much as I like Gianpaolo, they need something new now. But because uh, this 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 crap that they pull on the roads week in a week or you know every other week or whatever it's it's getting old and i'm sure it is for the fans you know you're up you, you're up three one you should win a game at that point especially against parma and you you only get a point out of it it's uh it's a reason why you're not getting you get european games this year yep for sure moving on uh last chance saloon for frozinone uh at the mape for any faint hope of yeah. staying alive uh for survival they had to win and it looked like they were on their way uh, to doing so in the eighth minute, uh, Paolo Samarco from Andrea Pinomonte to make it a 1-0. Uh, 
and then in the 36th minute, Luca Paganini uh, scoring on an assist from Camilo Ciano. Frozenoni at the Mapai winning 2-0, and that win would give them the faintest of hopes for survival. Uh, they would have had to win out over the last three games. Um, but uh, in the second half, Sassuolo decide that they actually care and are going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, Rogerio, who I like Rogerio, by the way. I think he's a talent. Um, uh, he assists on uh, Gianmarco Ferrari. It was a corner. Um, Ferrari finishes, uh, makes it uh, uh, 2-1 to one at that point. 77th minute, it would be Jeremy Boga on a cross, a uh, very nice cross, uh, along, the, along the ground from uh, Paul Irola. Uh, Sassuolo get the draw here 2-2 against Frosinone officially sending Frosinone down to Serie B Uh, the draw is not enough Uh, they are 10 points from safety um, and they can only get a maximum of 9 points the rest of the way so uh, they are done and dusted Richard Um, considering how their squad was constructed before this season, this is, re- I think this is disappointed because in, a number of us, when we had our preview pod at the beginning of the season, had really high hopes for them. Yeah. And they just, uh, continue to play poor defensive, getting up goals galore. Uh, and it, they tried to, they tried to write the ship just a little too late. And, you know, they started out this game with a bang. I mean, two nothing. I mean, it was, that was that's great, great, great way to start a game for them. I and mean, everyone thought maybe they're going to win this game, but, they didn't have enough to muster up the rest of the game, and um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Frozenone played, you know, played fantastically in Serie B last year, but they just could not, you know, bring that same momentum to Serie A this season. And while, like you said, many people tipped them to uh, maybe survive this season, they just uh, the quality had dropped off immensely since last year, and um, it looks like they're in purgatory to go back in relegation. Well, they are in purgatory to go back to relegation now, or go down to Serie B, and. Uh, try to regroup, and it's not going to be easy to come back with all the the good teams there. So um, they had their chance, and they they blew it really. Yeah, for sure. Um, and a real pity. I mean, I, obviously the one player that's interesting here, Andrea Pinamonte, who is on loan from Inter. He'll go uh, back to we'll, the parent club. <laughs> yeah, he'll go back to the parent club, but then he's just going to get loaned out. I, you know, send him, to, let him, let him play for Brescia next season. Hey, there or, you go. Or you know, one of these promoted oh. clubs because. I mean, look at the situation with what they've got for strikers at Inter at the moment. They've got Lotaro. At the moment, they've got Icardi. I don't think that Icardi stays. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know if Pinamonte is going to be in the immediate plans next season uh, for the Nerazzurri. So a place like Brescia would be amazing for him. You know, a place where they need, uh, you know, where, where some of these teams need some striker help. Um, you know, it wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't be too bad uh, to see him uh, ply his trade somewhere else and uh, continue to get experience because I think he's I think he's got some promise to him. Imagine a team next season if he you know were to go to Brescia, you know him, uh, Toragrosa and Donnarumma. I mean, that's going to be a could be a a fun team to watch offensively. I don't know what they're going to do defensively, but offensively there could be some goals. Because uh, yep. Pinamonte, we've seen already, he can pull strings as a playmaker or score goals as a striker. So um, he's he's certainly an up and coming talent for the uh, for the Azzurri. So uh, it would be a that would be a great place for him to go. I think I agree with you. Sure, Frosinone is one and done. So um, down they go back to Serie B. Uh, Richard, uh, a pretty interesting one here between Genoa and Roma. Yeah, Genoa and Roma. Uh, the game would be uh, any game that's in the Luigi Ferrari Ferrari Stadium. It seems like 
the home team always has the advantage and as they should the home crowds for both you know Genoa and Sampdoria are always fantastic uh and it wasn't it wasn't this case no doubt about it this game uh it, this game was uh very uh I want to say the first half was pretty much a dud Nothing really happened, but the second half is when things started getting really interesting. Uh, you had yellow cards galore. Zaniolo, who I think Roman finally decided to show up in the second half, and uh, Zaniolo nearly had a couple goals in the, in the second half. He did get a yellow as well. Um, a couple other players got yellows in this game. There was a, a even a penalty, but we'll get to that. Uh, first, there was a goal in the 82nd minute, one of the goals of the week candidate for me, uh, Stefan El Sharawi, the Pharaoh. Uh, he gets a goal, a wonderful volley, one-time volley out of midair. Uh, gets Roma the lead. It's a big, big game for Roma because they already saw that what that what happened in Atalanta Lazio matchup and uh, you know to keep pace with Atalanta and trying to get that Champions League spot they needed to win. And so the big goal by El Sarawi with eight minutes remaining was huge. They thought maybe they had this game won, um, but they keep playing football as to the 90th minute. And uh, Christian Romero, uh, he would break many hearts, many Roman hearts in the in the 90th plus one minute, uh, getting the goal to equalize the matchup. Uh, hold your don't hold, you know, hold your breath real quick because the game wasn't over yet. Uh, into stoppage time there would be a penalty. Uh, for Genoa the, the Romans were furious at the call. Up steps Sanabria, one on one against Mirante who had an excellent game up to this point. Uh, makes a brilliant save on the penalty to to stop uh, Sanabria who usually is money in the situation. He rescues the point, uh, two points lost possibly in this one, and uh, Roma escape with a 1-1 draw. Uh, big for them that they got a point, but they could have had, they should have had three points, and they nearly lost it all at the end. If not for Merante, who's probably going to be player of the year for them, if uh, no matter what happens, because uh, you know they could have missed all European action if uh, they kept in uh, the other guy Olsen. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, another great game from Merante. Uh, he's He's rescued. He, he he has really rescued this team. And then El Sadawi has also had an outstanding season. Great goal. Uh, I agree with you. Goal of the week candidate for me. Um, you know, just a, a game here that when you look at it, Roma had more of the ball, but for what Gen- what what limited time Genoa had, they did more with it. Uh, Miguel Veloso turned back the clock. Had a really nice game um, for the Grifone. Uh, well, you know, had a good game too. I thought, yeah, I thought Kwame was good. Um, and then uh, Crescito from the left-hand side, I thought, put in a shift uh, here. Uh, he won six tackles. Um, you know, so he was doing a lot of dirty work on his side uh, of the pitch. Uh, so, you know, Genoa made it uncomfortable for Roma. They set out to do that. Then when going forward, they generated some chances. And as you mentioned, Kwame was very influential. Uh, coming back the other way, uh you know, Roma kind of almost going through the motions, it almost seemed, uh, you know, just overall in the first half. Um, you know, they had, again, more of the ball, but Genoa was producing more of the chances. Um, and then that kind of flattened out in the second half. But, uh, you know, it's 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 a Roma team that sometimes just doesn't play with purpose, you know, and it's kind of surprising. When you when you look at some of the players on the pitch, I mean, El Shad always had a solid season. You still got Jekyll who can score goals, um, you know. And then, uh, uh, you know, I saw I Zaniolo probably had his worst game as a Roma player here. Um, I'll agree. I think I saw John Solano mention that, but just kind of looking at the numbers and how he performed in this game, I'll agree with that. 
Um, I mean, obviously he's got a bright future, but this wasn't a day for him. And I think a lot of that was, you know, <laughs> Chrisito was just, he was on that side, and I think he dealt with him. So the experienced player won out in that game. Um, but Roma, for me, just, okay, the, the defense is sorted out. Medante and goal is sorted out. Now have some purpose and, and start to attack these games. Yeah. I mean, like I said, in the first half, they really did nothing. The only opportunity was when Fazio had a header that Radu made a fantastic save on. But other than that, you know, they didn't do anything. And like you said, they're not playing with purpose at the moment. When it, when this is the time of year they should be, especially if, they're, if their intentions of making Champions League again is serious. Um, you saw what Atalanta did already today. You saw what Lazio did. You knew that three points would have been perfect to keep pace with them. And uh, knowing what kind of run-ins both these clubs have, you would have had the advantage. But they didn't take advantage of it. And then Genoa... You could say the same thing on their end, too, because they blew a great opportunity to be free from this relegation crap, and yet yet they're still somewhere in there. But, you know, go back to Roma. Um, they need to do do more with what they have. They got youngsters there. They're not getting the playing time that they should. I know Cliver was in this game as well. But um, it, other than Al-Sharawi and a couple other guys, this team is not playing with much purpose at all, like you said, and um, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. And hopefully next year, whomever's a new manager going forward, uh, can help straighten these guys out and get them back on path because we we I mean we're both in agreement right that they're full of talent throughout this team they're just not performing that's all yeah, I think that there's a there's some good pieces I think the defense has to get a whole lot better though yeah two um, new center backs they need some well <laughs> not necessarily I mean obviously let's just let's just put it this way the Manolas and Fazio are in the latter stages of their career and they just they get stuck in the mud a lot. Uh, defensively, they need a defender that can, you know, like Anopoli has Koulibaly, like a Sabdoria has Koulibaly, um, you know, Milan has Romagnoli, uh, younger, energetic, has the uh, capacity to cover more ground. Um, right now, I think with the defenders that you've got there, I mean, they're two of the same guy. You go to Inter and Scrinia and De Bruyne, they cover so much, um, and their positioning and responsibilities and stuff like that are terrific. So. Roma have to reinforce in the center of the defense. That's a huge, huge issue, and that's whoever's grabbing the sporting director position for the future. Um, that's uh, that is that is their biggest priority. Um, and then what's going on with strikers? You know, um, what's going on with Jekyll? How long is he going to keep playing? Is Sheik ever going to get anywhere <laughs> close to the form uh, that? that he showed at Sampdoria that made him this hot commodity in the first place. So it's just, those are some things that are, those are some interesting questions that, that need to be answered. Now, um, it doesn't look like Antonio Conte is going to be the next manager at Roma. It sounds like he doesn't, he doesn't want it. Did you read that? I did not read that, but I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> too many, too much uncertainty going on right there now. They don't even have a sporting director. So, um, they need to figure that out part first, and then to see where the what the direction of the club's going to be before they get a manager. Honestly, um, so I think Conte Conte is looking for something big. Um, and I don't know if the Roma is going to be the place just yet. I'll read this to you. Antonio Conte has confirmed that he will not move to Roma this summer, leaving Juventus, Inter, and Milan to battle it out. Roma seem to be furthest forward in the race to end Conte's sabbatical, even offering him a nine and a half million euro, uh, nine and a half million euro a year salary, with Francesco Totti declaring the coach as a winner. However, the former Chelsea boss admitted this is from Football Italia, uh, by the way, hmm. admitted the conditions aren't there for him to take charge of the Gialarossi. 
while keeping his door open to Juve, Inter, and Milan. I also have seen Bayern Munich and PSG linked, so and possibly even Manchester United. Um, so he's going to be in high demand, and it looks like Roma is going to be on the outside looking in uh, in the race for him. Now, Roma have also, there's suggestions that they might move for Sarri if Maurizio Sarri is going to continue to be unappreciated at Chelsea. Um, and here's my take on that, because I went and I said on Twitter, I said, okay, we, we talk about Gasparini as far as Serie A is concerned, but the best Italian coach this season has been Maurizio Sarri, and I'm going to say hands down, I'm going to double down on what I said on Twitter, Richard. Um, oh. Yeah. He walked in. First of all, at Chelsea, the reputation with managers there is you're hired to get fired. And you could argue that he might have had one of the most difficult challenges uh, for a manager stepping into a situation at, at Chelsea. First of all, he wasn't getting Champions League football. He was getting Europa League football. All right, And I know that Conti inherited that too. But he also is inheriting a transition from a team that characteristically was set up to play in a three-man defense, and then they had to regroup and do that, play his 4-3-3. Um, he had, with the only additions in the summer, being Jorginho and Kepa. Okay, and I know that Loftus-Cheek came back from loan, um, Hudson-Odoi, uh, etc., but so playing that 4-3-3 and then Jorginho in the pivot, which everybody in England hated, hated Conte playing to his right, hated all of it. You know, that you're misusing it, you're misusing N'Golo Conte, you're misusing this, this and that. Okay, Saudi has a system. <laughs> and We're all sitting here as Serie A people, you know, eating our popcorn, watching English Premier League fans get pissed off, Chelsea fans get pissed off at what Saudi's doing <laughs> and saying, this is Saudi, he's stubborn. This is how he wants to do it. And his midfield, you know, Conte is Allen. Allen played to the right of Jorginho at Napoli. And Conte arguably is a better, and not arguably, he is. He's a better Allen. And he's grown into that role. Jorginho is starting to adapt to playing in the Premier League. You know, when you go from what Conte did, Antonio Conte did, to what Maurizio Sarri likes to do, it's night and day. Oh, and yeah. it takes And it takes a season. So to get to the finals of the League Cup and take the best team in that league to penalties... Uh, to finish third, uh, or right now in third, and to lock up Champions League football for next season and have a chance to uh, reach the Europa League final. Um, I, heard, I saw a Chelsea fan saying that that's the bare minimum. What? That's the You finished sixth last season. What do you want? <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you want? Manchester oh. City and Liverpool have, are, are, have projects way ahead of yours. What were you expecting? <laughs> what were you expecting just getting Jorginho and Kepa? So, you know, Saudi came in and did I, he did a fantastic job and deserves applause. And we here at the Serie A sit-down, we hear it, that our fans of Italian football uh, say bravo to Maurizio Saudi uh, if the English fans don't. And if, you're, and, and if you're feeling unappreciated, come on back. We'd love to have Saudi ball back in Serie A. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Nima had tweeted something out, and I couldn't find the tweet. Uh, he was saying potential managers for next year, and I think Sadi's name was included with, I think, Roma, uh, Conte with, uh, who did he say? I think he said, oh, man, he said Conte with somebody. Um, and then he said, you know, Milan would maybe have, you know, uh, what's the guy, w Wenger or 
or Gasparini and some other names. So the names he was throwing out was great, but he had Sadi back in Serie A with Roma, which could be an interesting could be interesting fit with him because the players I think that are currently at Roma could probably play Sadi Bowl. What do you think? Would you would you take Sadi at Milan if no. Gattuso was out? No, you would. I wouldn't just because I don't like his ro- his his rotation policy, um, and he okay. seemed yeah. As That's much valid. as as much as I like him, I don't want his style. Uh, I mean, it's fun to watch and uh, great football. I don't. I think it would it would the depth is the issue with me. And when you when you want to get to the aspirations that Milan wants, which is not only you know Scudetto and stuff like that, but also Champions League, European glory, you need to have depth. And I don't think Sadi has mastered that yet, and he needs to figure that part out. Um, but he's a f- tremendous coach. It's not to take away anything from him. I think he's a fantastic coach, one of the best Italian coaches in the game. But um, personally, I wouldn't like to have him, but I'm, I'm sure you would, based on your comments. Okay, that's valid. I'd, I'd take him in a heartbeat, but and, and hope that maybe he learned from his mistakes of running 14 players into the ground at Napoli last season. <laughs> but um, speaking of Napoli, uh, let's move on. <laughs> nice transition. Uh, Na- yeah, Napoli and Cagliari. A little bit of a reunion of sorts as uh, Leonardo Pavoletti returned to the San Paolo, where he never scored until uh, this game. Only he was Napoli's opponent and scored in the 63rd minute to put uh, the Sardinians ahead by a goal to nil. Uh, the uh, second of two editions of little people out jumping big people for goals <laughs> uh, goes to Dries Mertens off a cross in the 85th minute, unmarked actually. Um, so Farias did a little more work than Mertens did to Fadias's defense, but Merton still had to get up for it. Uh, headed one home. Um, it's a goal of the week candidate for me, uh, just pinpoint cross, uh, putting it on Merton's head. Uh, so making it a 1-1 one, one draw. And then uh, a penalty in the 98th minute uh, to uh, Lorenzo Insigne to get the last gasp winner. Arthur Yonita had a problem with this penalty decision, said something about the referee's mother, was given a straight red. Uh, but Insigne getting a goal, it has been a long man. It feels like it's been years since Insigne scored. <laughs> All right. So Napoli get the 2-1 win. Move on. Nothing to see here. Yeah, no. Nothing I mean, much to talk about. <laughs> there's not, not much. It's pretty standard, really, and, and Napoli pretty much just... If they haven't already, they lock up the second position. I mean, they pretty much did it already, but um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty pretty standard. You know, they they found a way to win. Pavoletti nearly ruined the the, uh, the homecoming, or his well, I guess would uh, celebrate his homecoming. But um, yeah, it was a brief scare. It wasn't much. Uh, Napoli was in control of this whole game, and they they finally eked it out deservedly. For sure. So. Um, Napoli move on, and now the uh, the final game, uh, saving probably the uh, most interesting for last. Uh, not just because we're Milan supporters, but just because of all of the incidents from this game. Richard, give us Milan and Bologna. <laughs> yeah, so Milan have been in a little bit of an uh, an up and down, more down of late. They've uh, at one point they were locked in fourth position, looked like they weren't going to lose that, and now they're they're hoping to keep Europa League spot at this point. Um, they would host this match, uh, and you know a lot of the a lot of the troubles have been because of Suzo not performing uh, well for the Rossoneri. But uh, in this game, he uh, he would finally get a, get off to break the duck. He would score in the 37th minute with a left-footed shot. Um, a wonderful movement, wonderful wonderful uh, movement to get free there. Went against the grain, scored on, against the post there. Uh, that put Milan up one nothing going into halftime. 
coming out the second half. Um, Fabio Borini still proving that he that he can make a home with uh, any team, especially Milan. He gets a goal, make it two nothing in the uh, 67th minute. Um, Matteo Destro, uh, former Milan player, he would get on the score sheet. He seemed to never score also at Milan, but he scores in Milan this game uh, for Bologna, makes it two to one. Um, and then the game would uh, get interesting. Um, Paqueta would pick up a yellow and then a red in the 75th minute. He says something in, in Portuguese to the referee's mother. The referee didn't like it. He got out. Um, Eric Pulgar also got a yellow on the same play. Um, moving on, uh, you know. Well, let's talk. Well, let's talk about that incident um, first uh, before right. you move on, because I know there's more 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 that went on. Um. Paqueta was manhandled first and foremost, and that you know the the, the whistle blew, and I think that then there was an, a shoving incident between Paqueta and I believe Pulgar. Okay, the referee caught Paqueta retaliating and gave him a yellow, and then Paqueta slaps the referee's arm, and you absolutely do not do that. No matter how wrong or how you know what you think of the situation, you never put your hands on the referee. Yeah. This is a very very dumb red card by Paqueta and for the second straight week for Milan another dumb red card it was Romagnoli the week before sarcastically applauding the referee mm -hmm. or what appeared to be sarcastically applauding the referee that's at least what the uh, referee is going to put into his book Romagnoli is going to say no he was trying to clap and urge on his teammates uh, in regroup you know uh, it's one person's word against another um, but in this situation when I saw Paqueta do that I said oh the red's coming and sure enough, he was sent off. And uh, you just don't, in any manner, put your hands on a referee. I agree, hundred percent. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's one thing that there's I'm not, I'm never gonna be leaning on, and, and I think the FIGC will never be leaning on, and for good reason. You never right. put your hands on a referee in any sport, um, especially in this situation. So. Uh, and he's banned for the rest of the season. He's got a three-game ban. Well, there goes their offensive uh, woes is going to continue because he's been pretty much the guy helping them get the goals, you know, when he's in there. So uh, Milan will have to figure this one out. But, yeah, it's unfortunate for him and Milan now because uh, pa Paqueta is arguably their best playmaker uh, going forward. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a silly silly way to lose your the end, end your season. Um, we'll talk about another player who may have his season ended. Well, not probably. will have his season ended. But before we get that, you know, there's more red cards in this game. Uh, in the sixth minute of stoppage time, uh, players decided they didn't like each other anymore. Frank Cassier would pick up a yellow card. Uh, Nicolas Sansone would also pick up a yellow and a red, as well uh, as Mitchell Dykes, um, for, uh, both for Bologna. So that's two more reds in this game. Uh, this game was already topsy-turvy. Uh, things would only get more interesting. You know, Milan would get a 2-1 win. But we, uh, we, we learned you know, during the game, especially in the first half, uh, there was an injury situation where Lucas Bielia had to come off, uh, and and Gattuso had asked initially Bakayoko to get up. Uh, he I guess he thought Bakayoko was being lazy on his warm ups, so he said sit down. He brought in uh, Jose Maure, um, and then there were some words between Bakayoko and 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 Gattuso. Uh, the F word was thrown around. Gattuso said, "I'll see you later." I, I hate to uh, someone look for a missing body report here at the end of tonight uh, in Milan, but. Uh, that's one player, Frank. Uh, well, two things here. One, stupid forever trying to say anything to Gattuso, knowing what kind of player he is and what kind of person he is. Two, um, 
Bakayoko has been one of a fan favorite for Milan Milan fans. Uh, his performances this year is one of the best for the Rossoneri uh, throughout the whole season consistently. And this may be his end of... If Gattuso continues, which I don't think he will, but um, this may be the end of Bakayoko in Milan uh, with this incident. What do you think? Well, this goes back to... I think he's he's just he had been in Gattuso's doghouse. Because this goes back to, you know... Uh, Bakayoko was an hour late for training yep. last Tuesday. Yep. And the speculation of the stories break that Gattuso put the team in retiro, which just retreat, which means just, okay, no one's leaving Milanello for the next five days. We've got to get this figured out. We need to win games. Um, so, although Gattuso said in his presser, he said, Bakayoko being late had nothing to do with it. It was already my intention that we were going to do this uh, retiro. Um, believe that what you will. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so you're already, okay, first of all, you're already in the doghouse of the coach. All right. And you're a professional and you're getting paid. Wouldn't you want to try to, okay, hey, this is my opportunity. I get to go back in. I get to prove it. And just so disappointing from Bakayoko. And yes, he's going to go back to Chelsea. He's going to get shipped back to Chelsea just for this. You know, there's maybe a slight chance that if there is a manager change after this season, that they figure this out, they work this out with Bakayoko and he stays. I would be stunned if that happened. I would be stunned if a club like me, well, this regime, I don't know if they want to make that impression to do that to a, a, a Gattuso as a, considering his stature with the club yeah. uh, as a player and his history, to say, uh, we're taking Bakayoko over you. We're sacking you. We're going to get a manager that wants to keep Bakayoko and move on. I'd be I'd be astonished if Leonardo and Maldini did that. So there are reasons, I think, that both of them are going to be gone. I think that Gattuso probably will not be back after this season, and I think that Bakayoko will not be back after this season, and that's probably going to be the best way to solve it all the way around. Unfortunately, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's unfortunate too because Bakio has been one of the best players of this uh, for the Milan this season. He's been a, a virtual ball winner every game, doing good things. He only had maybe a couple, one or two games that are bad, but for the Jose, most part, Jose Mauri was really good in this game. Yeah. when he came on, yeah, really good. Yeah, um, and that didn't help things either for Bakayoko. That the guy who ended up coming on played really well. But Bakayoko is a good player. I mean, he wins balls. He he's physical. It's what you want in in a defensive midfielder. Unfortunately, you know this little incident may be the the end of him in, uh, at Milan, and so it's unfortunate because uh, he became a, a fan favorite uh, as the season went on. Yeah, he did. He had a he he finally looked like he was turning things around. Um, now, if Saudi stays at Chelsea and Bakayoko returns from his loan, he'll love to have Bakayoko back for the Champions League depth. You oh, know, yeah. somebody that can play behind N'Golo Kante, maybe step in and uh, be the Diawara that spells Jorginho. Um, you know, just kind of looking at it from those perspectives. So, um, you know, but I, I, there's no way Bakayoko should have a future in Milan after this, and it's a shame because he performed, he performed really well for them. But it leaves Milan with a problem here for the next game. Billy is hurt. Paqueta suspended. Bakayoko, you can't trust now. You have Kessie and Mauri. you have Jose Mauri. <laughs> So Chalhanolu is going to have to suck back into midfield, and then you make a decision between Borini and Castellejo. Is Bertolacci still on the line in the team? I mean, not that I would want him in the game, but I guess that's another option if he wanted to go that way. But yeah, yeah. I, Montalivo. 
At <laughs> <laughs> Fiorentina? Uh, oh, why my. not? Little narrative? Yeah, so, there you go. Why not? Um, so, you know, let him have a uh, goodbye game uh, at, at the Artemio Franchi. I, I would not be surprised if he's on the substitutes bench uh, for that game and that he may be, if the game's decided in some shape, form, or fashion, that he is brought on as a substitute for the last couple of minutes so that he can, you know, uh, maybe play his last few minutes for Milan, but play it where he played most of his career at Fiorentina. So just yeah, throw, throwing that out there. But it puts Milan on 59 points now in fifth, uh, tied with Roma, but ahead of him on, on uh, head-to-head. And then chasing Atalanta, they would have the head-to-head advantage over Atalanta if they could catch him. Um, uh, they go to Fiorentina, then they host Frozenone and go to Spal. So, you know, if they can – I mean, really, when you look at it, three teams that have nothing left to – nothing left to play for except be spoilers and Spall have already proven. We'll see how they are now that they've known that they've got that their survival is known. We'll see how yeah. how they perform after this. Frozenone is already going down. I mean this they have the easiest run in out of all of these teams that are fighting for these Champions League places. And that's what scares me. It seems that Milan tend to play up to their opponents and play down to their opponents. When the games that they should win they tend to their level tends to drop and then the games are much closer than they should be. Um, that's the thing that that scares me from the Milan perspective. Um, yeah, Atalanta have a daunting schedule going going down that stretch, but they they've proven that they can play with anybody and their levels have pretty much been consistent no matter who they play. Uh, Milan is the, the the worrying thing with me is that they always drop down to their opponent's level and you know those games against Spal and um, Frosinone it might be closer than it should be. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that uh, 100%. So, um, I look at this as still wide open. I mean, Atalanta right now, are it's theirs to lose. I still think this is going to be a three-point gap from fourth to fifth after this week. I think Atalanta are going to beat Genoa. Uh, they play Saturday. Um, and then, uh, you know, as for Milan, um you know, going to Frozenone, we'll have to see, you know, what Fiorentina shows up. I mean, Montella is certainly going to be motivated if the players aren't, so we'll see. Since, since we're talking about Milan, let me play devil's advocate for here for a minute. Um, and let's jump to the other side of Milan. What what percentage do you give that Inter somehow screws this up and either Milan or Roma jump over them to take to take that last Champions League spot and it's Atalanta... In in Champions League and Inter sitting in Europa League, what are the, what percent do you give that to happening? What uh, say that again? So what what chance do you give that Inter misses out on Champions League and one of either Milan or Roma make it in in their in their place? Let me see Inter's running. They host Chievo on that Monday. Should be a lock three points there, and then they host Empoli at the end. I, I, I Inter I think are good. They got to go to the San Paolo and play Napoli. Um, Match week 37, but those home games, those those easy home games, I think Inter have a 70, at least an 85% chance of staying in the Champions League places, okay. if not if not higher. Okay. So I, I I think Inter are fine when you just look at the run in. So yeah, yeah, I, I I you know while they're getting close, I think that the the fixtures are there for them to pull away. It's you know can Atalanta slip up enough for Milan to catch them. Uh, or for Roma to catch them, and I think that that's what we're looking at at this point. It could very well be that the top four right now is the top four that we're going to have at the end of the season. Yep, very true. So, all right. Okay, so I think we've been pretty comprehensive. Um, 
Goals of the week. Uh, I have mine. Let me just kind of give me go run. With mine. Yeah, go ahead with yours. All right. So uh, this is a tough one for me. I I, I went with um, Pavoletti at number five, uh, Jeffrey Boga with uh, Sassuolo at number four, uh, Lukic goal with Torino at number three, Timothy Castagna at number two, and El Sharawi number one. Okay. Um. I will go with. Uh, I'm going to actually go with uh, Mertens' goal at number five. Okay. Um, and then uh, I, I, I I'm with Jan Kostan number four. Uh, I'll go with I'll go with the uh, uh, Lukic goal three. I'm going to go with Ronaldo's goal two. Okay. Uh, just the height he got there and just seemed like he was up there forever. <laughs> um, and then I'm with you. Also, we had the goal of the week. That's unanimous. So the Pharaoh wins it. Yep, not by much, but but uh, but you know I think that all of them. There wasn't a real like Golazo. No, not there were like a lot of week. goals, but nothing that you look at that just make your jaw drop. So so anyway, what were your goals of the week? Go to at Serie Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Before we wrap this up, I'm going to give you the 23 man squad that I built and see if you agree. Okay, Richard, the parameters on this were – okay, this was born from uh, uh, at Goal Scorer C, which they're, they're more British-based, and they wanted you to build a 23-man squad balanced, so three goalkeepers, you know, and then build your defenders, midfielders, and forwards um, using only one player from every team in the Premier League, and you had to use one player from every team in the Premier League, and then it was the top three from the championship. So I did that just for fun, and then Rafa, our friend over there at Far from Vesuvius, said, "Try one for Serie A." It's like, all right, let's let's do it. So how are we doing this through position first, or are we going to go through just teams? How are you going? To, how do you want to do this? We're going to go by, go by position. Okay. So and we'll see, and then I'll give you a chance to decide which changes you would make uh, from what I went with. Okay. All right. So we're going to start with goalkeeper, and my goalkeepers are Samir Handanovic of Inter. Okay. Uh, Salvatore Sirigu of Torino. Good choice. Uh, and Brignoli of Palermo. Interesting. Um, I just didn't want to, you know, because some of the other goalkeepers that I would have considered, I, there were other positions, there were players in other positions that I just liked better. Okay. So, and when I look at Palermo, the defensive record in Serie B is decent enough. Astonishing that I'm saying that about Palermo. <laughs> uh, but, and, and Brignoli was at the uh, the hub of that as a goalkeeper. So, uh, he gets in just as a result of that. So, all right, I picked six defenders. Um, I picked Giorgio Chiellini of Juventus. Naturally. Uh, Kalidou Koulibaly of Napoli. Naturally. Francesco Acerbi of Lazio. Oh, okay, I like it. Bruno Alves of Parma. Ooh. Manuel Azzari of Spal. Excellent choice. And Domenico Crescito of Genoa. Okay, I like that. Good okay. picks for Spal and uh, Genoa, certainly. Okay. Uh, midfield, uh, Papu Gomez of Atalanta. No debate. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. I'm going to call him a midfielder just for the sake of this. Uh, Stefano Sensi of Sassuolo. Hmm. Rade Krunic of Empoli. Nice, good pick. Eric Pulgar of Bologna. Nicolo Barella of Cagliari. Naturally. Emanuele Giacarini of Chievo. What? Oh, you had to pick somebody. You got to pick somebody. (laughs) And my Brescia pick, Sandro Tonali. Ah, there we go. The youngster. 
All right. So, and then finally, forwards. Christoph Piontek of Milan. Oh, right. Deservedly. Stefan El Sharawi of Roma. Great season. Fabio Quagliarella of Sampdoria. The Don. Federico Chiesa of Fiorentina. Okay. Rodrigo Di Paul of Udinese. Ooh. Pinamonti of Frosinone. And Lamantia of Lecce. Ah, very good, very good. 16 goals for Lecce in their uh, push for promotion. Okay, okay. Very so, good. I so. would have... Um, there, not much change. I, would, I, I like the team that you made. Like the, I would have added some goaltenders, but they would have taken from other players from other positions too. So uh, I like the the one the one switch off the top of my head that I can think of is uh, I probably I might pick Lasagna over DePaul, but DePaul had a fantastic season. Argues there. Yeah. You could say El, uh, Jekyll for El Sharawi or something like that, but El Sharawi had a great season. Um, you know, Brescia. Maybe I wouldn't go Tanelia. Maybe I would have put like Donnarumma in there somehow. Um, but you know who do you who do you take from Lecce in the midfield? Then is the question, and so right that's um, where it kind of came from. It's like you know Sandro Tonali is a rising talent. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of a linchpin of what Brescia has done in you their promotion. You could have gone with Chievo. So with Chievo, you could have gone with um, Vignato. There you go, the youngster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and I and I considered it. Um, you very much, uh, very much considered it. So uh, you know, it would have uh, would have been. I don't think anyone would have complained. And who's your manager, so, Saudi? <laughs> Um, well, since we're sticking to just, you know, managers in Italy, it'll be Gasparini. Perfect. He can work with so, youngsters and the vets. There you go. No, you could play, uh, you could play a Serbi, Koulibaly, and Chiellini across the back. You got a lot of captains on that team. It's hard, yeah. it'd be hard to pick one. I guess Chiellini would take the boat. I'd, yeah, it would have to be Chiellini. So, I, you know, maybe Quagliarella. I mean, the old man yeah. is the Capocanier leader in a league that has Ronaldo and, uh. By three goals, too. Yeah. And uh, and Duvan Zapata's having a hell of a season. So so yeah, it was it was it was hard, but uh, I managed to, uh, to 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 get that put together that way. The one thing that I did I did consider it was um, I think for a while there I didn't have Chiesa and I had Biragi in it um, mm-hmm. on the Fiorentina end, and then uh, um, but then I I was able to wiggle this team around to put put Chiesa. You could also put Luis Muriel in there and over Chiesa, but Chiesa's got the the age on him. Yep, for sure. So, so okay. So that's that. That was my okay. So we're gonna we're gonna tell uh, if you've listened long enough to us, we're gonna give you the challenge. Uh, pick a twenty-three man squad. Has to be three goalkeepers and then defenders, midfielders, and forwards. Just keep it balanced. One player from each team in Serie A, plus one player from Brescia, one player from Lecce, and one player from Palermo. Uh, let's see. Uh, what we have, Richard? Maybe we can probably set that up on our Serie A set down page and see what people re- how people respond. Yeah, yeah, let's okay. do it. Okay, let's do it. So that was mine. So again, uh, Handanovic, Sirigu, Brignoli are my goalkeepers. Defenders: Chiellini, Kulibali, Acerbi, Bruno Alves, Lazzari, Crescito. Midfield: Papu Gomez, Sensi, Krunic, Pulgar, Barella, Giacarini, Tonali. Forwards: Piontek, El Sharawi, Quagliarella, Chiesa, De Paul, Pinamonte, and Lamantia. Uh, what are yours? Uh, look out for that tweet at Serie Sit Down and tell us what you think. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's try to get some good answers on that. And with that, we'll put a bow on this edition of Serie Sit Down. Uh, Richard, anything uh, you're up to besides uh, besides this pod? 
Uh, no, just trying to uh, edit some videos. I'm uh, going to put out the top five here uh, tomorrow and uh, as well with the podcast. And then I also want to give a shout-out to Rocco Fasano. Uh, he was our guest last week. He gave us a shout-out on his Game of the Week, uh, Serie A Game of the Week on YouTube. Make sure you go there, subscribe, give him a follow, share, retweet his videos. Um, uh, excellent excellent content from, comes from this gentleman. So uh, thank him for coming on and, and give us another shout-out as well. Most definitely, Rocco. Uh, my, my thanks as well. Uh, I'm at FTC underscore 21. This is the only place you're going to find me uh, not writing anymore, just uh, just pretty much sticking to this podcast. Uh, Richard and I did have a uh, unwritten but mutual agreement that we will be back for a fourth season of Serie A sit down. So if you don't like Serie A, keep giving us a lesson. So. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but anyway, um, uh, sit, yeah, sit down. So if you, you know, if you want to tell your paisans about us, we're at, uh, uh, we have our own channel on iTunes, on SoundCloud. We can be found on Stitcher. We can be found on Spotify, just about anywhere. Uh, you can, uh, find podcasts. You will find us. Um, also our YouTube channel, Syria Sit Down. Richard will have the, uh, uh, top five goals of the week, uh, coming up and a video release on that. Um, I'm trying to play around, Richard. I think what I'm going to do is just kind of quick flash videos of just quick takes of what's going on. I think that's something I'll try to put up here in the future to try to get back in the video game here. So Yeah, we'll have some some fun takes uh, over summer. We're going to think of some good ideas uh, going forward for next year just to uh, liven up the YouTube a little bit. So Definitely, definitely. So do check that out. We'll try to get more content popped up into that. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we appreciate uh, your listenership. We appreciate uh, the uh, the support. Uh, for Richard, I'm Frank. This is the Serie Sit Down, a uh, podcast of World Football Index. Go to worldfootballindex.com uh, for just about anything football um, for uh, for your viewing or listening pleasure. Uh, and as always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.